welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of the Living for Today podcast, where we will explore the boundaries between reality and spirituality. I'll be your host, Ryan Kurzak. In today's episode, I will be talking with Jim Nolan, an ex-police officer turned sociology professor, about how an ancient Vedic myth, Indra's Net, can help heal social disparities. So I'm here with Jim Nolan. We're going to be looking at something that he's been exploring called Indra's Net. Um, welcome, Jim, to the podcast. I'm uh, glad to have you here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, so before we get into this, uh, if you wouldn't mind taking a moment to explain, number one, what is this idea of Indra's Net? Mm-hmm. And keep it very basic, because many people might not know. Um, why are you interested in it? Mm-hmm. And how does it relate to your own work? Okay. Well, short short intro first. That um, I come out of a profession of policing. I became a uh, professor about two decades ago because during my uh, during my police career, when I was taking classes at Temple University in Philadelphia, I sort of woke up to the idea that there's there are these things, the social structure and context that really matters. Uh, in terms of the decisions that people make and whether or not they commit crime. And in the police world, it's all about bad choices and good choices and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So as a sociologist, uh, I've spent, you know, again, two decades working with students, um, thinking about how social structure uh, provides privilege for some groups and uh, is it limits other groups. And um, but, I, but, then I, but then I realized... Uh, Pretty recently, really, that uh, so for some people, many people actually, that really doesn't matter. They wake up to it, and they don't because they don't see themselves as part of the disadvantaged groups, if in, in, in the advantaged group. And so I began thinking about, uh, you know, how do you how do you raise that level of consciousness to mm-hmm. to wake people up? Not only does it, not only that there are social structure that limits the possibilities for some people and uh, enhances the possibilities for others. But how do you, how do you show them that, the, um, that they're part of the same whole, mm-hmm. that they, they actually um, are not different, mm-hmm. they are the same? So Indra'snet is provides that sort of a image. It's just an image, it's sim- symbolic, mm-hmm. as and, you know. And it comes from a myth. So what is the myth that it comes from? Well, it's from Hindu mythology that um, the god Indra was the chief god and had this net, who had this net, and the net goes infinity in all directions. And at the vertex, in the net, at the vertex is all the intersections, there's a jewel. And if you look inside each jewel, all the other jewels are being reflected. Mm-hmm. And that image means that basically it's the one is in the all, and the all is in the one. Mm-hmm. And that, that actually is the reality of things, but it's something that's beyond our consciousness, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. We see ourselves uh, mostly as independent of other jewels in the net, and we definitely don't see ourselves as reflecting all of the other jewels in the net. Mm-hmm. So that's the idea. Okay, okay. And you mentioned this idea that some people do wake up to or see... Um, the, the difference in social structure, but you were saying that it doesn't ne- doesn't necessarily encourage them to make a change. Yeah, can you go say a little bit yeah. more about that? Well, uh, particularly people in privileged, more privileged positions, right. um, they generally say, "Well, you know, we'll do uh, affirmative action program, or we'll do this or that, and we'll." Uh, and but really, I'm okay. <laughs> My family's okay. Right. We got to keep doing this. Is and there's an ideology of. It, for example, in the, Amer- in the American system, there's the idea, ideology of the American dream, mm-hmm. that if you work hard enough, if you do the right things, you can make it. But some, this is, you know, in sociology, this, is, this idea has been debunked. It's been the source of many of the problems, that there are gaps between what some people can make and other, other people can. Some, sometimes that dream, uh, well, the dream can't always be fulfilled, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's, so it's the illusion, and it's the, the uh, you know, um, in some ways, we're, we're, some of us, we funk, go through life somewhat asleep. There's like an everyday consciousness. Mm-hmm. 
we interact with people just based on what we see and we think this is true and we never challenge basic assumptions. And so IndusNet helps you helps us to think about that. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, um, my late wife Melissa was into is the adverse childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. And from her work, she would always, well, from the adverse childhood experiences study, the idea is that the more adverse childhood experiences you have, um, and it's a scale of one to ten, the greater the likelihood that you're going to have heart disease, diabetes, uh, promiscuity, crime, like it goes up. Um, and that's more common in less affluent circumstances and yeah. then it perpetuates itself. Yeah. So is this something um, is this something that, that, that relates to Indra's net in that when we know this, you know, what's some way that we can kind of wake up to that idea and also understand people that they're that they have these 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 issues, these conditions, but how how do you work with them? Like how do you see that if you come from a place of privilege? How do you work with that in an authentic way that's not just, like you said, saying, well, I'm fine, so mm-hmm. life is fine, and let them mm-hmm. work it out? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you approach it in that way? Well, I mean, this, this is you know, really the point of it is that the other, we, we think of the other, it's their, their problem. We don't think of it as our problem. Mm-hmm. And so Andrew's Net, it really helps us wake up to that idea that uh, a large population of people with these adverse uh, situations post-traumatic stress syndrome, and all these types of things that happen in many impoverished places. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, that what's happening to them is happening to us. Right. Because all the negative consequences that, that are in society, even where high levels of crime and violence and those types of things, that, that affects us. Too, we can run, but we can't hide. Right. And uh, but there is, we put these boundaries up as if they are different. It's their problem, and all we have to do is show them the door, and they can walk through it. Right. And um, recently, a, sort of a different image I, I had, I put up on Facebook. I had a, I was in a place where I, I saw a door on the second floor, but there was no scaffolding or anything going to the door. So I'm pointing to it, right. and I put this uh, idea up. That all I can do is show you the door, but you have to walk through it. The the irony of it is that you can't get to the door, and there are many people that can't get to the door, and we act like we've done our duty, our due diligence by just pointing to just it, showing the door, just showing the door. Right. Okay. So then, from this perspective, you're number one. We're becoming aware of the fact that yes, there is a door. And the people in more prosperous situations, they've, they've already got access to the door. And they're pointing to it and say, well, can't you get there? Um, so what you're trying to work out is maybe how to work out systems to help people get to the door? Is yeah. That- yeah, I, well, I wonder if people, if we raise that level of consciousness, not just showing how social structure limits possibilities, but the people in privileged positions or people who may aspire to privileged positions, if they wake up to the fact that they are us and that in order to make a better society, we've got to build those, um, build that infrastructure to get to the door for people. That's the responsibility. Yeah. You don't elect people to c- come into Congress and then point to the door or put people in an elected office and point to the door. No, we... You elect you to build up, build up the infrastructure so people can walk through the door. More people can walk through the door. So how do we how do we do that though? And, and the reason, you know, recently I've been thinking about many people I know that um, profess to be Christian, mm-hmm. and they're very well off, and yet they're also very fearful of people who are not so well off, and they act like again, you know, I got here because I worked real hard and I tried real mm-hmm. hard. Um, and then they want to protect their golf carts and their boats and these sorts of things. Uh, and then, you know, they, they assume, like you're saying, they, they look back to people who are in very difficult situations and say, well, if you just work harder, you can get there. Mm-hmm. But when I think about interacting with these people, I don't get the sense that there's a way to inspire them to say, hey, maybe you could help. Maybe we could do a little more of this hard work to help lift other people up. Mm-hmm. So the, the issue I always have with that is, you know, in your mind, how do you, is it even possible to get through to people who don't have a conscious awareness of the fact that we do need to really dig down and help people who need it? Yeah. Does this I mean, make sense? This, this, is a, this is a good question. This is the challenge. And the way I tend to think of it is 
this way, that the people with the boats and the, uh, the vast amount of the privilege are not the ones I'm aiming at. Okay. The, the, the ideology that if you work hard, you can make it is mostly middle class or, you know, there's, there's a big middle of people. And it's the ideology that keeps people looking down the social ladder as the dangerous classes and not looking up. Okay. And so it, the ideology is uh, in, the, in the average person, if they wake up to it, enough people wake up to it, then that, these are the, the masses that can make the changes. It's not so much convincing that rich person, I've got to give up some of what I have. It's convincing the people who don't really have it yet but still believe that we can, we can all get, we can get there if you work harder. Okay. Hmm. So what is... What is an approach? Is an example, you know, to, oh. to, to do that. <laughs> okay. Well, what we what we've proposed is uh, we're, we want to start out and try a couple of things. Okay. You know, we're really at the beginning stages of this, and we've developed a workshop. Okay. A workshop related to internet. A, a workshop related to internet, and uh, and I've actually um, done this workshop at my in school. I, I did a, a class on hate crime, and I'll and I'll explain to you more how I did that in sure. a minute, but. But, but basically the idea is you get people in the workshop participants thinking about themselves as a jewel mm-hmm. and connected to other jewels. Who are they connected to? And how do those connections shape who they are? And how are those things, people reflected in them? Mm-hmm. And out of this dialogue comes an awareness. It's a way of waking up to the fact that um, we are not separate. And not only are we just connected and interdependent with these others, we also... They shine through us. Okay, right. Um, you know, kind of a connection that comes up for me, and whether it's related or not, I'm not quite sure. But in spiritual circles, there is often an idea that if you just get your thinking right, if you just get your mind right, if you just you know organize your your life in, in such a perfect way, then you'll ha- you'll be able to have whatever you want. You'll be able to follow your dreams. And you know, I have one friend who he always told me. Uh, um, he said, you know, people say uh, follow your bliss and money will follow. And he said, well, you follow your bliss and maybe a little money will follow. But it, it's not it's not an obvious thing that that's going to occur. But I'm wondering, is is that a similar kind of mentality that you're discussing with people? Because it seems like a form of magical thinking. Mm-hmm. And someone says, get your mind right, then everything will fall into place. Yeah. Rather than saying, come up with a great plan, implement the plan, and then you're more likely to have success. With what you're describing, do people have uh, a sense of magical thinking that they're, they're disconnected from the reality of what needs to be done to make the actual effective change? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I can see that thinking, and I've heard this before, mm-hmm. where the, uh, if you align with the, the uh, universal principles, you know, wealth will come your way, right. and that sort of thing. That, that is magical thinking. The way I'm, I'm thinking about this mm-hmm. is that you're more likely to do the right things in times of struggle. Mm-hmm. You're more really likely to, um, to, to recognize the struggle for what it is, part of reality. Right. And uh, accept it, and but also see, but also then respond in, in the right way, to perhaps transform the suffering in a in a particular way. But but don't you think uh, that makes sense what you're saying? But when I think of human nature, um, I used to have a very dim view of human nature, and it's slightly gotten a little bit better. But um, when when I think of human nature, um, most people don't even want to consider the fact that there is struggle and hardship unless you've just been thrown into it and there's no way out of it so i mean it's part of the problem that in our culture that maybe in certain classes or certain social spheres that there generally is less hardship you know i've never worried about not having food i've never worried about not having a place to sleep i've never worried about those things even you know when my house was destroyed i had some place to go you know, so but but there is a difference in that that I feel fairly privileged in that regard. Mm-hmm. But there is a large group of people that don't have that. Right. So um, you know, with Indra's net and with with like the workshops that you're doing, um, what you're saying is that this is an approach to slowly bring into people's awareness how we all are related. And you know, I've always thought about Jesus oh. and his his thoughts that. 
you, you take care of the people who are the outcasts and the poor and who are having difficulty as that being a fundamental principle of Christianity. But beyond that, I think it's a fundamental principle of, of higher humanity. So is, is, is this idea of Indra's net you know, aiming to work towards this type of higher humanity? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, it's um, once you once you recognize um, uh, once you recognize that when I when I do something for you, mm-hmm. I'm doing it for me, mm-hmm. and when I take care of me, I'm doing it for you. You see, I I can see that with by by applying Indra's net, the idea of Indra's net, I can see that. I, as long as I'm taking, because I I'm reflected in you. If I'm dangerous to you, you're fearful. Right. Right. If I'm angry at you, you're. I affect you in some way, mm-hmm. and so I I work on me so that I. Uh, you know. Okay, I see. see. So, so by well, so by becoming aware of your own inner states of consciousness, like if you have something that makes you appear dangerous or difficult or angry are, are you saying that it could be as simple as becoming aware of that and trying to be more conscious of it yeah i think being aware of it is the fir- first step in making any sort of change i mean it's any sort of suffering when you, when you see it a different way i mean this is what happened to me even policing i mean i was hardcore police mm-hmm. i was in the war on drugs i saw these people as evil criminals right. and i was a hard worker and i did a lot to arrest people yeah. it was when i woke up when i could see that this was not right that i that i so it did help me and that's why I think, that's why I moved to do this kind of work. But what was, I mean, that, that's always the thing that interests me. Like, what happened or what was the moment where you went from, I'm doing my job, I'm fighting the evil, I'm, I'm working hard to, wait a minute, uh, m- maybe this isn't, what happened? Like, what? Well, there was, a, I mean, there was a lot of things that happened. One, one was, you know, graduate school was really great. I mean, I was, uh, I was taking classes that, uh, we were doing things like um, leaderless groups and that kind of thing, and the, you know, working on the dynamics of groups. And and I, I I saw myself being angry and leading protests and things that I would never consider myself. Right. And I do do this even in my own classes. You know, I, I uh, sometimes I start my first class in uh, one of a course like deviant behavior, and I just sit there and I don't say anything for three hour three hour class, and they just. The expectation is that um, the teacher is going to give a syllabus, and and when that doesn't happen, first of all, it appears funny. Then there's anxiety. Then there's anger. Then people are storming around, and all these things pop up. Right. And and so I asked the students. I said, "Can you imagine if somebody's like peeking through the door at all the classrooms around the university today, and and seeing which ones were the more, most deviant? They would assume that the baddest people were in this classroom." The worst, you know, the worst of the worst. Right. And uh, so, but it was that kind of experience at Temple uh-huh. that made me think about, you know, what about these neighborhoods? What are the, what's the context in these neighborhoods? But did you, were you, did you go to Temple? Did you go back to graduate school while you were still uh, in the police yeah, force? Was, okay. Yeah. So then you were in the police force. Doing you it. went back to graduate yeah. school, and that's when you started to have yes. the changes. Yes. So it wasn't you had the change, then you went back to grad school. No, 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 okay. no, no, no. Okay. I was doing graduate school. In fact, and then after I, I finished most of a lot of my coursework, I actually transferred out of the drug unit that I was in, mm-hmm. and went into a community policing unit, mm-hmm. and it was there that it solidified mm-hmm. that work where I was working, sitting at the table with people in neighborhoods but that were considered bad neighborhoods so therefore everybody in them are bad people right. sitting at the table talking about um wh- what they want what they desire for the kids they want to make this a safe place it was like completely foreign to me that this was going on in this type of a neighborhood right. and it was just confirmed for me the types of things that i was picking up at temple mm-hmm. and I, again that's where i felt like so- sociology and social psychology if you could wake up to these structures that people would change but when I see that when you have an advantage, I, I also see this in the place where I worked. Mm-hmm. Those in, who have the advantage, things are not never changed there. Mm-hmm. It's still they're still under attack by the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are still uh, poor neighborhoods, still violent neighborhoods, and this is you know three decades 
four decades. This is, you know, it's it's not going to change if things don't change. Right. I mean, do you see things changing at all? Just, uh, I'm curious about that because when I, I don't know a lot of kids or teenagers, I know a few nowadays, but they seem very different in regards to their social awareness. Um, do, you, do you see things changing just naturally, or do you think there's going to be more emph- more emphasis needs to be put on this kind of work? Um, I I don't really know. Okay. I mean, I I uh, or you work with you, I mean, what about like in uh, with the kids you work with, right? Because like, right. they're all probably in their early twenties. I mean, do they have any kind of different approach to to life? Well, it, it, when I did Injures Net in my hate crime class, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody has a general notion that they know what the problems are. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of the things that uh, you kind of walk through. Like if you if you decide to take a career in physics or uh, you want to become an astronaut, you know that you don't know something. So you need. To, but when you come into like sociology or social psychology or something, like, everybody knows everything. Right. <laughs> right. The way they see the world, and they, they don't hide it. You know. So. So um, what what I hear from students, and after we did the internet net exercise. Um, Basically, they talked about the insights that they had, how connected people were, and they, the focus of this exercise was they were they actually went to different uh, groups, advocacy groups on campus. Like there's a Jewish center, African American group, LGBTQ center, all these types of places, and they talked to them about the issues that they had and what are the problems and all that kind of stuff. And they saw the, and by doing that and reporting out, um, I, I have a picture here. I can't show it on here, but. They basically, they lined up, they got around and they did their presentations and then they, they threw this uh, yarn, this ball of yarn to each other and they had to say how they were similar, how they were connected, like Indrasnet. Mm-hmm. And then they would throw it back and forth. And, and the essays that the students wrote after this were profound. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had lots of different, it, ra- it definitely raised their awareness. Mm-hmm. And now if it sticks... Uh, or if they go into professions that then they have to become um, right. enculturated into uh, a different sort of a thinking, it, that could happen. But I, so I don't know if it's going to stick. But right. I, but I do know that they, at some level, it, their uh, uh, consciousness was raised. Well, it, it may stick because I, I think about uh, my college experience, and I remember one in particular because I, I I studied psychology and philosophy. And there was one class at the very end of the my junior year where um, the professor brought in um, a gestalt therapist and more of a body mind centered therapist. Mm-hmm. And up to that point, you know, like you were saying, I thought, oh, I know how to fix people's psychology, <laughs> which I didn't. <laughs> and anyway, <laughs> um, but she she brought in this this professor, or he was a psychologist, and that just that one class completely changed my perspective about how things can be resolved within a person rather than just talk therapy, really getting deep down into it. So hopefully this experience will be the same. But in the meantime, uh, let's move on to uh, how you say you're doing a workshop, and this is with Jim Norton as well? Right. Um, Okay. He is... uh Jim Norton is um, he's the uh, coordinator of the Communities of Shalom's um, Spirituality Committee, and it's a so this is a project of Communities of Shalom. So they're gonna, they'll sponsor workshops. Now it's up to us now to advertise and see who comes, mm-hmm. and uh, and we'll we'll do some sort of a, uh, assessment of it, whether or not do, do people be you know in the beginning what do they think, and in the end what do they think, and whether it holds. But again, we're really at the beginning phases of this. This is right. not something that's widespread or we've tried it anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's just a concept at this point. Well, if someone's going to get involved with the Injures Net workshop, like what is something they can expect? How do you, what are the, sort of the high points that are, people are taking through with that work? Um, are you all right sharing that secret? Well, no, 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 no. This is good. I mean, it's a commercial for... <laughs> I want people to come. <laughs> I mean, it, it really is for any any sort of uh, person. It's not... You know, I did it in my class for students, but I think you could you could take it into industry so you can see how, um, you know, cer- certain um, groups in a bureaucracy, how the inner relationships... But it definitely in a community, I think all aspects of community could be involved. Okay. But it, so, so essentially, it would it would start by uh, um, giving people the idea of IndrasNet, that the the one is in the all and the all is in the one, and seeing themselves as one of the jewels. And, and who are the jewels in your life? Who are the jewels that relate to this topic? What is the subject and how are they related uh, to each other? Uh, um, 
in in my book, The Violence of Hate, another commercial, <laughs> uh, I use internet a different way. I, I basically say, you know, if you're you're trying to deal with hate and discrimination, that you can apply, um, you can look for sociological causes or psychological causes in the offender. You can look for political causes. You can look at economic causes. Economic inequality is a, a cause. And then you could look at the local dynamics. And I, I, I present these as... Um, different jewels. Mm-hmm. So so if you look at the local dynamics as a, as a focus area for, combat, for combating hate, sociology is there, geography is there, economics is there. Everything is in that everything is in that jewel, the local dynamics jewel. Same thing if you pick psychology. You can't extract so in the psychology jewel is sociology, is economics. And so it's it's a way of thinking about it and my my point for uh, students in my class is that focus on the local dynamics. Mm. Focus locally because everything else is already there. Right. I see. That makes sense. Okay, so you're looking at um, the social structures that they're in. You're looking at the the places where they live, their neighbors, I mean, things of that nature. And and in that, you'll find sort of the information you need to work with them. Uh, Yeah, everything is there. So you don't have to, you don't have to go into the political realm. You could if you're inspired to do it. But really the closest and and best place to touch it all, whether or not you hate the other group or you're inspired to discriminate against the other group is right where you live, Mm -hmm. right where you work, right there. Okay. All right. And what's the next step that you... Okay. So the the next step is then you get, you have this type of thinking. Then there's some exercises. Like I have, uh, I have this really uh, great song from um, Elliot, Elliot Park called uh, The Soldier in the Oak. And so um, it's, it's, it's a great song. And basically it's a, it's about an old oak tree. I don't know if you know this song, (coughs) this oak tree that uh, wanted to grow tall, uh, tall and strong and uh, a soldier with a bullet in his chest hung his rifle and bent, bent it over. Mm. Two years it grew that way, and so all its dreams were lost. Mm. And then, the, but what happened, a uh, hundred years later, they did, uh, the way it grew became perfect for a bell tower or for the whole of the mighty bell. And so it became something. Uh-huh. And so, you know, we asked participants to think about this. You know, if you're looking at the bell tower and you're looking at the thing in its present form, what were all the other things that really made it? was the oak. It was the, the battle. It was the uh, warrior. It was the rifle. Right. It was all of the things that made this thing in the present moment possible. Right. And also, it had these dreams but those dreams got derailed or changed <laughs> because of a difficult experience. But because of that, because that's something I'm also interested in, is how people go through difficult experiences mm-hmm. and they want to avoid all their difficult experiences. But it's those difficult experiences that gives them the capacity to do what they need to do in life. You know, I, I kind of still am an astrologer. And I remember um, one of my friends who had about 10 years on me and he was also a psychologist and uh, he had a very difficult astrological chart. And I looked at it and I was like, whew, I don't, I don't know about that. That's, I'm not sure what you had to go through. And he explained everything you had to go through. Two suicides in his family. His father was a, a veteran and an alcoholic and abusive and all these things. And he said to me, he's like, look, Ryan, he said, um, uh, you can look at that and you can say that's a really terrible chart. He says, but all of that gave me the ability, because he also works with troubled youth. Mm-hmm. He said, all of that experience gave me the ability to be able to connect with and do my best to support these these troubled youth you know so um, that's just something i've been thinking about how instead of maybe rebelling against the 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 shit that happens to you try to kind of consider how might this strengthen your character but anyway that's that's off subject no but i I think that is the point though is that um it's the point of this, this piece of it that it's that awareness uh, often we think about, going back to the concept of hate crime, we think that we have to eliminate hate or we have to eliminate poverty. But all these things are, are essential in a sense. It does, But it doesn't mean that that person has to stay poor or that group has to stay hated. It means that once we recognize it and our power to transform, there are things that we can do to transform that in the moment. We can't end it. 
but we can transform it. Right. And I think that's the power of I mean, an image like Indrasnet, as you can you can see how things can change and uh-huh. and what and the impact that can have in the entire net. Right. I mean that that's always an interesting. It bends my mind a little bit, and possibly in a good way. You know, recently I was teaching a class on the Yoga Sutras, and there was a particular line that said, um, essentially, the goal of yoga is to transcend this temporal world. That's paraphrasing uh, or summarizing. But then the next line says, "But the 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 temporal world is to serve the eternal and to help the eternal wake up." So in a way. I still don't like it (laughs) (laughs) because it seems like it seems like a game that if I was designing I would not design it that way well you have you're assuming a designer (laughs) yeah that's true that's true I still feel there is one (laughs) okay but this is good all right so then what happens how how do you proceed from there Uh, and then there's a you know a series of um, different types of things that we do exercises like there's a there's one exercise in the beginning of this before we really get too far into it is uh, we we make the point that people generally uh, act as if and our language ties us into an everyday form of thinking everyday consciousness so that so I ask uh, so, sometimes I ask participants to say rewrite the following statement so, and make it true. Okay. So I say the sun will rise tomorrow. So I, I let them give it a shot, and most people say I hope the sun will rise tomorrow. They modify it at some point. Okay. And then uh, some people sit there with their arms crossed and they say it's already true. They're not willing to even try because they see. And I say, you know, it's been 500 years since Copernicus, uh-huh. and we know that the sun doesn't rise. We know it's the earth spinning. And ah, yet okay. we, you know, and so, look, we, we have to wake up a little bit. We can't go to the moon if we think the moon is the source of its own light. We have to use science. We have to use different images, uh, equations, and Indra's net mythology mm-hmm. To be able to see things that we that are to try to see things the way they really are. Right. Okay. Well, that's interesting because you you said you gave the phrase "the sun will rise tomorrow" and you, you said make that true. Well, I immediately thought, well, that is true. <laughs> but then you brought in the fact that the sun is not rising, the earth is spinning. So what what you're getting at there is is inspiring people to take the phrases or, or the ideas that they have and rather than just accept them to actually find some way to think them through yeah even something as simple as that or everyday thinking uh-huh. is should be questioned at some point that sounds exhausting uh, yeah it is you can't do it all the time you and you won't be very popular for sure right <laughs> <laughs> and the, other, I, the other thing i warn people is like you have to form a group because if you're going to think about this stuff mm-hmm. the deeper you go the lonelier you get the, the what you get lonelier you, lonelier get. you get right yeah. hmm. and so th- this is a this is a, a danger in waking up too much uh well, that's true because yeah. you can't relate to people is that or they can't relate to you or? well they're not in this, the same place and you're you know when you're thinking about even like if someone say hey the sun's coming up tomorrow and if you're thinking about it too much you say well not really <laughs> Well, I mean, that's true. There, uh, hopefully I remember that this correctly, but again, going back to, to, to yoga, there was a teacher, Ramana Maharshi, whose approach was um, the way that you wake up is you essentially meditate on the idea, who am I? Like, mm-hmm. Really, who am I? Not just, you know, I'm Ryan with this personality that likes green tea and doesn't like certain mm-hmm. things, but like who or what is the experiencer that 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 knows that mm-hmm. and you it's a very subtle process and you have to stick with it and i believe it was in the 80s again i might have the story wrong they called it i think luck now syndrome where everyone was in a non-dualism so if you said something like i would like some tea they'd be like who wants some tea mm-hmm. like everything became sort of blown out of proportion so essentially what you're saying is we need to we need to look at this stuff and what you're describing but it may be that we do it in groups of people where we know what's going on yeah. Rather than say just, you know, you go up to the person at the gas station and, and they <laughs> right. say something and you, yeah. you, you make them question it. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's counter. I think it's counterproductive to um, challenge everything. And this was uh, Socrates' problem. You know, he was, they called him the gadfly. You know, he was always challenging people with the way they're thinking. And they ended up putting him to death. And, uh, and uh, you know, essentially this is what happens. You know, you get... 
you get thrown out the pasture if you're the um, person always challenging people. But you can, uh, again, it's very rewarding to raise consciousness. And I think it's essential to do it, but I, I always recommend that you do it with a group. Okay, okay, all right. And, you know, when you're thinking about how this, if you're doing it in a group, which means you're bringing people together that are, are focused on what, what the ideal of the group is, but then it has to kind of go out into the world somehow. Mm-hmm. So is it the going out into the world simply, you've, you've participated in this kind of incubation within the group, and now that changes your own way you respond the participants respond to the world and that's how it influences the rest of consciousness and the culture? Yeah, I think so. I think that the people who who might attend a um, workshop are people that have their own circles Mm -hmm. and uh, and they don't necessarily, they can develop their own groups of people and talking about it, about this type of thing. I think it can spread that way. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm hopeful that that's that's the the way it will happen. Well, from from a realistic kind of standpoint again you know thinking about uh the work that melissa did with uh the ace study Mm. you know i always had had the idea that people were the way they were because of the experiences they had that made sense Mm -hmm. um but i always also had the thought that that doesn't matter because if in the moment you are able to, to to change what you're doing you can make your your future better but then when she started describing to me the fact that you know if you've had four or five really intense adverse childhood experiences you are just more likely to have these difficulties um, and when I when I heard her talking about that on a more global level it gave me in a sense more compassion towards people mm-hmm. uh, but and, and this is the point I'm trying to get at. Um, when I would meet someone and, and they were what I would consider to be a vicious person, I would not really want them in my house. Um, they would not be someone I would choose to interact with. I would know that about them, but I would still have the sense of, I would not have judgment preventing me from seeing possibly what contributed to where they were. Mm-hmm. But I still didn't want to interact with them. Mm-hmm. So what happens there? I mean, do you simply, like when you see a rabid dog, do you just have compassion because you know it's a disease but you still treat it like a rabid dog does this you understand yeah yeah I mean? you're so the difference is uh, i mean what you're bringing up is like in a situation you know should you um let anyone into your home should you you know there the conditions create uh poverty and they create dangerous people mm-hmm. and the by knowing that these conditions create dangerous people doesn't make them less dangerous right they're still very dangerous so you have so but Outside of that interaction, what are the things you can do to change the situation so that these that there's less likely that these people will be dangerous? Okay, so I mean, how do you do that? Like, what's the again? Is it are you saying you go more towards the? Um, and how are we on time? I know you've got it's ten fifty one. Are you still good? Okay. okay. Um, how? It always comes down to sort of that moment when you're interacting with someone where if they are vicious or dangerous, and they actually are, I mean, someone's going to get harmed, versus, okay, that's not in my sphere right now, and I'm willing to try to be aware of societal or geographical or cultural issues, and I'm willing to do something to possibly contribute to a better tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it that you are... Is it that you are acknowledging... The person who possibly may be dangerous, realizing that probably in that moment you really can't do anything about that except mm-hmm. protect yourself, while having a more global or long-term idea that, well, so that other people don't have to turn into that. Do you understand? Like, yeah. are, are we are we addressing this from a real-time level, right. or are we addressing it from let's let's look at the situation such that that doesn't happen to future generations? It, it, both, because uh, if. If, for example, the internet idea is that he is you and you are him, mm-hmm. right? So if if you allow yourself to be in a position where he victimizes you, mm-hmm. it harms him and you. Right. So you're, in other words, you think, you know, not thinking about yourself as him, you think I'm separate from him. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I'm, I'm being harmed. I have a risk of being harmed. But I'm not going to get close to him mm-hmm. because... He's going to harm me, but he's going to be harmed by it. Right. Okay. So, so it's so in the interaction, and then again, it's not there's not a quick fix necessarily, but it's with a raised consciousness, can a population of people change the way things are so that they reduce these um, 
um, uh, con- conditions. I, you know, I, it's like this with uh, the police. For years, the police, they go on the assumption that the, the cause of crime is criminals. Mm-hmm. But when you ask people, define a criminal mm-hmm. that doesn't include you, you know, they well, because they'll otherwise they'll say, well, people who commit crimes, mm-hmm. and they get well, you know, everybody's committed a crime at one point, and then you realize that well, how about people who commit crimes regularly? Mm-hmm. Well, people who commit crimes regularly, there's that there's no, in other words, there's no criminal gene, so our criminals pop up mm-hmm. in times when uh, in in certain situations. So the idea of having a public policy that goes after criminals is like a public policy that goes after ghosts. They okay. pop up and they disappear. Right. So in other words, it doesn't mean they're not real when they're in their current state, mm-hmm. but they're not they're, they're not real. So, so what you're saying is since we all have a tendency and at some point in time we've committed some kind of crime, even if it's going five miles over the speed limit, that's still a crime. Yeah. So then that criminal thing is in humanity. Yes. It just so happens that it becomes more pronounced from time to time yeah. in certain people. It's not pers- It's not personified. There's not a thing called criminal. Right. There's a thing called criminality mm-hmm. that pops up at, at, different, at, at different times, and it can pop up in any of us. We could become terrorists. Mm-hmm. We're not terrorists today, mm-hmm. but we could be. Right. <laughs> so like, if I'm stabbing you, I'm an active criminal. Right. But the other 24 hours of that day... You're a person committing a crime. A person committing a crime. Okay. So then you're not focusing on a definition. You're not creating another class of people. You're saying that is just a... That's just a behavior that comes about just in people. Yes. Okay. okay. But but the public policy that said we need to incarcerate criminals, we need to catch criminals, and that's how we stay safe. What that led to, particularly in the war on drugs... Mm-hmm was it made so if a police officer was uh, going after a drug dealer or something like that or somebody selling drugs or using drugs they'd arrest them charge them with like three or four different uh, felonies and then say okay we'll let you plead to one if you do three other people Mm -hmm. and so that so basically what that did was it got what they defined as the criminal off the street, they say, but it broke the trust and relationships that were in the community. Right. And if there's one thing in uh, sociology that we know is that the places that have are less likely to have drug addiction problems, mm-hmm. less likely to have crime problems, these are places where there's tight trusting relationships. Mm-hmm. And so what our criminal justice system does, in fact, it makes things worse. It makes things because less safe. Because more suspicion. Because it makes things less safe. Right. And the assumption is just like the sun rising, we, we assume that, oh, we yeah, have the criminals. They can't have guns. They can't do this. They can't have jobs. They can't vote. All these types of things actually make things worse. But, but how, I mean, this is something I've thought about a lot, how, you know, you, you want to be trusting, Right. But if you know someone who's prone to thievery and you say, well, I want to give them the chance, and you do, and what happens? They're like, oh, well, this person's easy to take advantage of, so I'm mm-hmm. going to wipe them out. I mean, I, I, I've seen that happen in, in, in situations, and, I, and maybe this is not quite where you're going with it, but how do you, how do you, how do you work with that when, when, you, when you want to be... For some reason, I keep wanting to use the word compassion. I don't know why, but it just keeps coming up. But how do you want to hold that possibility of saying, you know what, I'm going to trust you in this, when the likely situation might be that they just decide, well, I'm going to take advantage of you. Does this? Yeah, I I, I see what you mean. I mean, that's that's the that's the difficulty is that you know you raise your awareness, you develop uh, empathy, Mm -hmm. compassion. You feel for the other person because you understand where they've come from, mm-hmm. but you're still a potential victim, and you could still be harmed. Right. And so there's no um, there's no algorithm that's going to say under this certain certain circumstance. But depending on what's going on in front of you, maybe you can without without awareness, uh, not just you know act in a way that you don't put yourself at harm. Right. Well, I mean, you know, you could take what Ronald Reagan's approach what was it trust but verify. I mean, could you could you be in a situation where you say, "Look, I know you've got this previous behavior, and I'll admit I don't really trust you yeah. to, to do this or to undertake this, but I'm going to give you the chance." Like, does that does that kind of approach make any difference? It can, it can, because uh, then people, you're being honest. Or? When people, the expectation is that you're going to be trustworthy. That that tends to make people trustworthy. Huh. Like, I, if I trust you, you'll be you'll be trustworthy. If you know I don't trust you. 
you're not going to be trustworthy. Right. So even at the interaction level, mm-hmm. uh, you can have some um, influence. I okay. Think. Okay. All right. Well. Okay. So proceeding with with Indra's net, the the way you, you um, run the workshops and you know help people understand this. Like, how does it? Con- how does it? How do you? How do you bring it around so that when people leave, they say, "All right." You know, <laughs> well, basically, there's there's. Uh, Lots of different ways. In the end, you know, in my class, the way I did it was the way, I, you know, I briefly described it, is uh, that people would, you know, stand in a circle and they would talk about the things, the insights that they've had, and they would, they would you know, toss this uh, piece of yarn across and basically forming a net, mm-hmm. in a sense, and, and seeing themselves as jewels and out of that sort of dialogue this awareness is raised and i think what people take away from it is uh this too is that there's a tendency to think that people are self-centered but never questioning the idea of the self okay self-centered is it wrong to be self-centered if my concept of self includes you it's not a bad thing to, to focus on myself right. because I'm focusing on myself for you. If if self is very limited from the skin and in, mm-hmm. that I just take care of myself, thinking myself as independent of you, that's uh, it's a in some in some sense it's a form of ignorance, mm-hmm. and that is the source of a lot of the suffering I think. Right. And I think I think participants take that away that that sort of a thing away. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, again, from from a yogic perspective, uh, I think Jim and I talked about this too, Jim uh, Norton, in the previous episode. Um, in the Yoga Sutras, it's described that the primary root cause of pain, like if you just get right down to it, is an absence of self awareness. And from there comes attachment and aversion, all these different things. But it is the absence of self-awareness which causes the issue. Yeah. And there, there are many teachers that say that the biggest problem we have isn't life happening. It isn't the things we think are problems. It is the misidentification of the I or the self with the body and the personality. Yeah. When really, like, like you're describing with, with this Indra's net, that we are all... I don't want to use the word. Well, I guess in a way we're all the product of everything else around us. Yes. Or how Alan Watts talks about, you know, you can't have you can't have a, a figure without the foreground. Yeah. That it's all related in that regard. Yeah. Um, so with these groups, that that sounds wonderful. On on a very on a personal level, though, like for individuals that don't, because a lot of people don't have access to groups that are able to do this. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean, I, I just mean it's it's often rare to to find. Uh, more than two people who can get together who are able to uh, consciously and without triggering each other talk about these things and work them out. Mm -hmm. So on a very basic personal level, how can this idea of Indra's net, how can it be applied like in in a daily, normal, everyday life for people? Uh, Well, a couple of things here. One is, uh, going back to your example uh, from... um, uh, from yoga, mm-hmm. the the idea of the self, the know yourself, ignorance of the self. This is this is really a point of Indra's net is to know, see that the self is everything else, mm-hmm. as, as you say. That level of awareness is uh, ch- changes things. Right. It can be a, a game changer. The way we're thinking about the class, uh, the class as a mechanism for building the types of long-term relationships, supporting relationships. So it's not like you walk away from class and you're alone in your world. Mm-hmm. It's this class and this class and this class. To what extent can we connect people to each other so that we're not the center of it right. necessarily as uh, facilitators of it, but can we build the type of, you know, in your group, do you know these people in this group? And slowly build uh, networks mm-hmm. of people who are thinking this way, where consciousness is being raised. It's not like you're going to walk out of here and be on your own, and now you have to form your own groups. Right. I think it's there's some continuation of the coursework beyond the course. Okay, okay. And um, when they are navigating, you know, when, when, when they leave the course and they're going out and they're, they're, they're kind of working with this, like, what is a way that they... Uh, what is an approach that they use, though, to, to kind of start to, to help it grow? You know, like the little root that comes out of a plant and another one pops yeah, up. Yeah, we don't know yet because, you know, this is, again, it's all in theory right now. Right. I've been uh, part of a, a project at WVU where we've 
used a form of uh, um, it, it's it's called um, uh, what's it called? It's about um, it's it's change agent training basically okay. with faculty members within the university. When they go out and leave, they uh, are connected to these other groups, and they and, and we let them think about how they're going to do that. And it, they formed other groups, like the Women's Leadership Initiative, for example, is something that formed out of this group. So I think that once we get started, we're going to propose, we're going to offer some suggestions, some ideas. Mm-hmm. It could be as simple as like Facebook page or mm-hmm. exchange uh, emails, that sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. They will get to know each other a little bit in a in a course experience. But I think that that's um, it's going to be we're trying to make it organic. How, what is it? What's right for this particular group? How how would you like to stay connected? Maybe right. you don't want to be connected, right. and we we'll just see how it goes. And you don't want to be connected to yourself. We don't want to, yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Well, you know, that, that is an issue that, that comes up with, <laughs> with people who get, in, I mean, in, in my line of work, people get involved in, in yoga and meditation. They always want to, like, uh, um, retreat from the world as though, you know, what they need to do is to actually get away from the problems mm-hmm. rather than recognizing that they are in the time and in the circumstance that they are. For some reason, we don't, our minds can't know. Yeah, um, but anyway. Um, so to conclude, what are some main points uh, th- that you would like people to take away from from this idea? Well, the idea is that this is a uh, consciousness raising course, mm-hmm. basically, and a consciousness raising on a couple levels. One is to to see show the limitations of choice as a way of explaining criminality, violence, and all the social problems. Mm -hmm. Social problems have structural antecedents Mm -hmm. and cultural antecedents. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's part one. Part two is that uh, we are all part of each other. We are combined. We are one. Mm -hmm. And so that when we take care of ourselves. We we're taking care of other people, and we take care of other people. We're taking care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Being self-centered isn't not a negative thing if you see it the right way. Right, right, okay, all right. Well, it's a lot to think about, so <laughs> we'll think about it. <laughs> but um, you can invite th- me back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for for coming out today and doing this podcast with me. That was fun. Thanks. Yeah. And if people wanted to get in touch with you, is that do you have a contact information or? Uh, we'll, we'll end up posting uh, maybe if you, you know, put this out on a sure, website or something sure I'll like put that. it on the, the uh, what do they call them the podcast notes okay the session notes so. alright well thank you very much Jim thanks yeah.